Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. And the podcast is also brought to you by OnX Maps. And with OnX Maps, you can know where you stand with the most accurate hunting GPS tech on the market with land ownership maps that work offline. Go to onxmaps.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 20% when you sign up for an app membership at onxmaps.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to rockymountainhuntingcalls.com or buglingbull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing, every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey... We are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Morning, Corey. Morning. How are you, Randy? Uh, I'm pretty good, other than I'm tired of not being out bear hunting or some of the other things that I'd like to be doing right now. But we're we're getting ready to ease restrictions here in Montana, so uh, I, I wouldn't want to be a bear over the next two weeks. How about you? What are you guys <laughs> doing down there? You know, I think uh, I, I took a break today from being out and about because here it's uh, we don't have those restrictions. So I got a, a shirt and a hat in the mail from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation that says hunting is social distancing. Yeah, I got uh, one of those I've too. Been, <laughs> I've been practicing that all spring. It's uh, th this spring has been absolutely incredible for me and my family just with school being canceled as far as 
in-person school and being able to do remote learning, it's given us a lot more flexibility to be out in the mountains. So we've done a handful of backpacking trips and several overnight trips, shed hunting, bear hunting, tick cool. gathering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's the how's the tick crop doing down in Idaho this year? I've, I, haven't, a, I haven't had a tick yet. Man, it is a it's a bumper crop here in Idaho this year of ticks. I'll tell you, you know, and it seems like every spring it just gets worse and worse, just more and more ticks. And last year, you know, Tyler Crockett and I went shed hunting, and we were just amazed. Like the first evening, I think I had seventeen ticks on me that I counted and pulled off. And so this year, we did our our backpacking trip for sheds. And he had the great idea, let's collect all the ticks and we'll do a, a contest. <laughs> At the end of our trip, we're going to do a contest and have people guess how many ticks we pulled off of us in our basically two days of, of shed hunting. And it, you know, it started off, it was like a, a contest for us, like, oh, I've got to collect all these ticks. And the more we get, the the more awesome it's going to be. So we're pulling every tick and opening the little can and putting them in. And by about halfway through the first day, it became a nuisance. And so, you know, half the ticks that were on us, I just threw off and didn't even collect. But we got back and in those two days, uh, we did the little contest and people guessed. And then we counted the ticks, which I think the video for that we put on our YouTube channel. But um, that video alone was about as entertaining as collecting the ticks. We had between the, between the two of us in two days, we kept... 194 ticks. Wow. That, that's more ticks than I'll see in Montana in the rest of my life. Man, they're just, I don't know, just those elevations. You know, we're, we're camping at 3,000 to 3,500 feet and shed hunting up to 5,500 feet or so. And pretty much if you sit down, you'll have five ticks on you within 30 seconds. Wow. That's crazy. But yeah. don't, aren't, aren't you dealing with daily consequences or headaches or hassles of a tick-borne illness? Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, still dealing with that and have been for uh, 11 years now. Wow. So, yeah, that's what, yeah. It, you know. People kept emailing me, you know, you know that they carry diseases. I'm like, you know what? I feel worse for the ticks and for me, because if they bite me, they're probably going to get, they're probably going to get more than what they already have. So it was, it was really cool though. We had a, a guy from Texas reach out to us and he works for a lab that studies ticks. And he asked us if we would send him the, the sample ticks. And so I sent him a can with 194 ticks in it and wow. he's going to do some uh, some investigating on them and see if they carry any diseases, see uh, what they eat, you know, what's in their stomach, what they feed on, and uh, said he would provide us with the results. So I'm super excited to, you know, we don't, hmm. a lot of people think that we don't have tick-borne diseases in, in the Rocky Mountains, you know, especially Lyme disease and stuff, and I'm here to tell you we do, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, just how prevalent from that, from what he's able to tell in the lab, you know, what, what he's seen, but I can assure you that here locally in central Idaho, ticks carry diseases and you don't want to, you don't want to mess around with tick-borne illnesses. No, but you know what people will say that if you announce what type of diseases there are, that you're just doing that to scare people away from shed hunting because you want it all for yourself. <laughs> I tell you what, anybody that's brave enough to walk into an area and come out with four brown antlers and 194 ticks, they've got a they've got a serious issue. Yeah, and, and I'll <laughs> I just say I would fall into that category. <laughs> I, I was going to say, anyone that foolish, I'm not taking advice from them. So. <laughs> uh, uh, so what do we want to talk about today? You know, earlier I was telling you about how when I lived in Nevada, 
uh, going to college, I used to count cards and play blackjack for a living. <laughs> uh, for a living. <laughs> well, mostly I worked at a sawmill. Uh, that, that I at least knew I was getting a paycheck from that. And then I would trap bobcats, and that was my bonus money. And then I spent a whole year teaching myself to count cards. And then I went to the casino, and until they all kicked me out, for counting cards, I actually made a little money at it, but I don't think we want to talk about card counting theory as it relates to tag applications because I'd probably get sued for malpractice by explain, <laughs> explaining my theory of 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 how card counting is in some respects the equivalent of applying for Western tags. <laughs> I just say you, you'd get in trouble for explaining your theory or exploiting the state tag lotteries so one or the other but yeah you know what you know what we should talk about to start with what the, the rocky mountain elk foundation has been working oh, yeah. with us um you and i reached out to them and said hey we know the last couple months have been uh tough for all the conservation groups how can we help and they said funny you should ask <laughs> and uh so w what Corey and I found out is that the Elk Foundation is getting ready to start a new membership program called the Annual Sportsman's Membership. And as part of that, they said, would you guys kind of launch this for us on your Elk Talk podcast? And Corey and I said, yeah, What what's the gig? And... I think I might have raised my hand when they said, you guys want to pitch in? And I said, yeah, we'll pay $20 of every membership. <laughs> and Thanks a lot, Randy. <laughs> yeah. And there was kind of silence on the other end of the phone. And uh, they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, let me run that by Corey, though. <laughs> and then you, <laughs> then you called me a cheapskate for only offering $20 to the first time. I know. So. I'm sorry. Yeah, we well, I think we ended up bumping it up, didn't we, to $20 yeah. for the first 500? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. here's here's how it works, folks. If you want to support the Elk Foundation and all the great work they do, this new they're calling it the annual sportsman's membership and it's a trial membership level it's a little higher than the just annual membership but a portion of your dues are going to go specifically to open and improve hunting access on public lands so that delta that you pay to bump up to a little higher rate um is going to go help the Elk Foundation do more of their great work for hunting access. And what you get is, well, first of all, they get a 20, the first 500 people get a $20 discount and you and I get the bill for it. Uh, <laughs> I just, I just did the math on that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> you're an accountant. You're supposed to do the math on that. <laughs> yeah. I did the math on it just now. Man. But Oh, well, <clears throat> what else would we spend that money on? Uh, so for your net $80 membership, you get a $40 Gerber Vital knife. You get in the drawing. I, here's the other thing I didn't know, Corey, until they sent this to me, is you're in the prize pool of prizes that they're giving away from Gerber, Elk 101, and others. Oh, uh, I thought you thought you said i was in the prize pool they were giving me away so they, oh there's been a lot of people trying to get rid of me for a long time and none of them uh, tried doing it through a giveaway but uh so no you're donating some prizes i hear uh we are and so they get in those those drawings and then you get your annual bugle magazine subscription which is every other month so you get six issues of that uh and then the Elk Foundation is starting these programs where they're giving their members exclusive discounts on gear and other stuff from their sponsors. So you're going to get in on that. Um, and if you're one of those people without nerding out as the CPA here, if you're one of those people who itemize your deductions, you might be able to 
get a tax deduction for it. Oh, and there's a new law for that just passed with the whole COVID thing that the first $300 of your charitable donations are deductible whether you itemize or not. So, wow. So, I mean, that was a long list. That that's a pretty long list for 80 bucks. Well, yeah. would be 100 bucks, but it's $80 if you're one of the first 500. Yep. Who? So, Go to the special URL, right? There's a yep. a unique yeah. URL they can go to to get that. Yep. It's pretty easy. It's rmef.org, which is their normal website. And just put one of those forward slash marks. I think that's what I call it, a forward slash. And then type in Elk Talk, E-L-K-T-A-L-K, Elk Talk. And you'll land on the page and right there you fill it out. And they'll automatically apply your $20 discount, and they'll send us the bill. That's a heck of a deal. That's a heck of a deal. I, <laughs> if, you, if you don't do that, folks, well, we tried. We're doing everything we can to, to uh, convince people the value of the Elk Foundation. But I think it was cool where they decided that this new trial membership is the extra money is going into – directly targeted towards their efforts on access, which is one of their primary initiatives to start with, but it'll just yep. add more money for that. And so. Absolutely. That's great. So, I mean, I, I guess just to recap, a normal annual membership to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is $35. Yep. A lifetime membership is, is it 1500 I think it's 1500 You could do that also. Somewhere right in there. And if you're already a member, you aren't ready to become a life member, this new annual sportsman membership is an incredible way to give just a little bit more and have that money go directly toward opening up more access for hunting and being in the outdoors. So, and we're starting to see yep. it. You know, it used to be, well, there's nothing locally. You know, there's, there's a few in Idaho, but nothing right around me. They're starting to, I mean, it's the, the areas that they have opened for access and that they're working on opening for access is starting to blanket everywhere. I mean, it's pretty much, there's nobody that can say, well, it doesn't apply to me or they haven't done anything close to me. They've done stuff close to you if you're in the, in a, an area where there's access issues for elk hunting. So, yeah, yeah, they're pretty cool. They're pretty they're cool getting, opportunity. Every year they do more and more of these and they're getting close to being at a million acres of new or improved hunting access which yep. a million acres is a lot of ground oh man yeah i, I couldn't think... imagine how many couldn't imagine how many ticks would live on a million acres in idaho <laughs> uh sounds like you just challenged yourself to go find out <laughs> like if i did a, just a i don't know what they'd call that but if i could extrapolate based on how many acres i shed hunted and how many ticks i found it would be uh we would be up there, a very yeah. high number. I, I know by the time this podcast probably drops, uh, Wyoming's modification date will probably have closed, which is May 8th. Um, yep. I wonder how many people wait until the final numbers are, or quota numbers are announced, and then went in and changed their application. I did. I kind of just, you know, they, they had a deadline in January 31st. So I just went in and applied for something and said, I'll change it later. Well, when they came out with the new new quotas, new dates, new numbers, I went in and changed mine to reflect the current information rather than last year's information. And did it so, change much? No, the elk stuff didn't change that much. A um, few changes in season dates, you know, so slightly moving this way or that way. Uh, but Nevada really changed a lot when the numbers came out. So they in Nevada, you were allowed to go in and modify until May 4th, I believe, which has already passed. Well, they announced their <clears throat> numbers like April 25th or something. They finalized their quotas. I went in and changed every, other than my sheep application, I changed everything for elk, for deer, and for antelope based on that. Wow. So, 
And I probably won't draw in any of those states. And people will say, Newberg, you should have left your numbers the same. (laughs) (laughs) But I count cards. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I set myself up for that, didn't I? So do we want to get onto the topic of Oregon that is about 10 days away with the deadline? Yep. So Oregon uh, controlled hunt deadline is coming up May 15th. And I think we uh, should talk about some of those details. All right. So if I was going to buy my $172 non-resident hunting license in Oregon, what would you, what would you suggest I do? Apply for every controlled hunt they have, this, every species, or, or do we just want to focus on elk? Uh, we can just focus on elk and talk about, you know, the, the other opportunities. Okay. So you mentioned you have to buy the, the license. And yep. just to apply for a controlled hunt, you have to have the license. And you get a preference point in Oregon if you don't draw. Preference, and that not, license, not, not bonus. Correct. Preference. Correct. Okay. Preference. So just uh, a quick overview, because I know it gets confusing, but a preference point means that those tags are awarded to those who have the most points. So if they're, if you have the most points, you are guaranteed uh, the tags that are allocated unless there are more people with that high level of points. So if it takes, uh, there's two people with 10 points and nobody above that, and there's four tags, those two people will be guaranteed those tags and then they'll move down to the next point level Um, but they have a little bit of a modified preference point system so 75 percent of the tags that are available go to preference and then the other 25 are put into a random draw so it is possible to draw a controlled tag in oregon with no points huh but i didn't know that there's some caveats to be aware of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this this sounds like the tax code. Yeah. Well, here, here's the general rule, but here's all the exceptions. Exactly. Here's the, here's the fine print that you might not have read. Uh, non-residents cannot receive more than 5% of the deer and elk tags. Okay. So, so they're, they're, not, they're not guaranteed. They're not set aside. We don't have 5% that are set aside. It's you can't receive more than that. So once 5% of the tags are gone to non-residents, no more non-residents can draw. Hmm. Uh, So, you know, you look at a hunt that has 100 tags. No more than five of them can go to a non-resident. 75% are put in the preference point pool. So only 25 tags are left in the application or in the random draw pool, and more than likely the non-resident tags are gone in that preference round. So a non-resident's chance of drawing a tag without having the maximum number of points is next to nothing. Hmm. Dang. And if you want to, we've we've talked a little about point creep. And point creep is, you know, it takes 10 points to draw a particular tag this year because there are so many people with 10 points. Most of them move up next year and have 11 points. So it takes 11 points next year to draw. And the next year it takes 12 and the next year 13. Those point, you know, the, the number of points it takes to draw that hunt creeps up by at least one every year. Oregon is, especially for their harder-to-draw hunts, probably one of the worst states for point creep. Really? And I didn't, I didn't go in and look at what the numbers are for, you know, you've got the Wenaha, you've got the Walla Walla, you've got Mount Emily. Um, those are probably the top three elk tags in the state. And as a non-resident, if you don't have max points right now or close to it, you really don't even have a chance of drawing those tags because there's so few tags and with the cap on non-residents and point creep, it's just, it's pretty ugly. Hmm. Well, I used to apply in Oregon. The non-resident license used to be, I think, 50 bucks, something like that. And I was building points and they used to give 10% of the tags. And then that all changed, and I I bailed out in, like, 2007 or 8. 
something like that. So it's it's good to get the refresher from you of how it works. Yeah. Well, here's the mm-hmm. other thing. In some of the units, they don't even give a non-resident tag or they give it every other year. So, you know, the Wenaha unit, um, which is probably hands down the best unit there, they only give a one non-resident tag every other year. And an outfitter allocated tag, so a client going with an outfitter, comes out of the non-resident pool in Oregon. So those those top units, you know, if you're just looking at Oregon or you only have four or five points in Oregon, I, I would strong, strongly suggest not applying for one of those top units. So, Corey, I just went on Go Hunt and I looked. And the Wenaha unit, if you have 20 last year, if you had the max points, 24, or if you had 23, which is one below max, you had a 100% chance for the archery tag. But 22 points or less, you had 0.04% chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not four percent, no. and that's not point four percent. That's point zero four percent. Yeah, crazy. Mm. Yeah, and if you look at you know we talked about Walla Walla, um, yeah. max points. You have a zero percent chance of drawing. Why is that? Uh, Mount- because there there was no non-resident tag. Evidently, yeah. Hmm. Uh, and then Mount, Mount Emily, which, you know, Mount Emily used to be one that you look at and say, I'm going to draw that with eight points as a non-resident. You know, I would say even 10 years ago, uh, Mount Emily was attainable. You know, you looking at it, it was like, I'm going to start putting in and draw Mount Emily someday. Well, with 20 points right now for a non-resident, you have a 0.05% chance of drawing. You have to have 21 points right now to draw Mount Emily and like I said, point creep every year, you basically, if you aren't sitting on 18 points or more, you probably aren't going to draw Mount Emily. So does Oregon let you just buy a point and not apply? They do. Yeah. But you still have to buy the license for $172 and pay the $8 application fee. And they do have a, they call it the point saver option. So you can for deer and elk buy just a, a point and not apply for a hunt. Okay. Huh. <clears throat> so if uh, one of the things that I do to get a feel for point creep, I some states publish this, some you got to get a hold of the agency and say, hey, can you send me this data? I like to know how many people are sitting on points, non-residents, at what point level. Yeah. Because that gives you a feel for how many of them are ahead of you and so you're thinking, okay, this is my year. Last year, it took eight points to draw this tag. I've got eight points. I should draw. Well, all of a sudden, it jumped to nine or ten, and you're like, how could that happen? Well, if you look at the the reports that show how many people were just buying points last year, and you find out that there are more people ahead of you just buying points than there are people actually applying, that is how this surprise of point creep happens. Those people, they quit buying points because they say, well, I'm up to 10. Last year, this took eight. Yeah, this is my year. I'm going to just burn my points and go. Uh, All of a sudden, a bunch of those people jump in and it jumps from eight to 10. And the people who had eight are like, man, I got screwed. Uh, (laughs) It's it's just part of what it is. And the... I hear a lot of complaints about point creep and I get it. I mean, I've been, I've seen it happen unexpectedly to me also, but you really got to look at how many people are in the line in front of you who are just buying points on the sidelines and know that if that's a really big pool of people at certain point levels, you are going to see a bunch of point creep. That's just how it is. Yeah. So, and honestly, I don't know of a state that has a, a preference point system that doesn't have point creep. I, I don't know how you prevent it because, you know, yeah. you've got a limited number of tags. You've got more people, obviously, applying for those tags. If, if there wasn't more people than there were tags, you wouldn't have to have a limited entry 
system. So yep. you have more people applying than what you have tags available. It just goes to reason that every year there's going to be people adding up and, and getting ahead in that and causing point yeah. creep. Now, when you get down into some of the hunts that only take three or four points to draw, you filter through those and you know you, you kind of cycle through them and they might creep a little bit. You know, after a couple of years, it might bump up another point to draw it. Uh, and there are some hunts in Oregon that are like that. And I won't tell you they're great hunts, but they're probably better than most of the general hunting in Oregon. And there are units that you can draw with three or four points, five or six points. And so not saying avoid Oregon's draw system completely, but just be aware that those top three or four hunts in Oregon, probably you're never going to have a chance of drawing them if you're not in the system right now. So the, a lot of those limited entry tags are for Rocky Mountain Elk because Oregon is one of those states that have both Rockies and Roosevelt's. Are there any limited entry draws for the Roosevelt elk? There are. Yeah. There's, oh, okay. uh, there's, a, there's a handful. Um, in fact, on I just jumped on Go Hunt and just going into the draw odds when you go into Oregon and select non-resident and then Roosevelt elk. There are two controlled archery hunts, three controlled muzzleloader hunts, and looks like six, eight, 10, 12 controlled rifle hunts. Um, hmm. All of them are pretty, pretty decent draws. Uh, the hardest one for rifle or for archery is the powers unit. Um, you're going to need 13 points to draw that with a rifle and about the same 11 or 12 points to draw that with uh, for archery. So hmm. from what I've heard, it's a fairly decent Roosevelt unit. Uh, but with all that being said, with all of these controlled hunts, Oregon has one of the, the biggest areas to be able to hunt over the counter too for elk. So, uh, yeah, it's def that's definitely popular, especially for residents. You know, they get, there, there is a lot of pressure in a lot of places, but there's also, um, some areas where it's steep and rugged and you can get away from people and. And they have, I think Oregon has the second highest population of elk, if if I remember correctly. They're at least right up there, second or third behind Colorado. Yeah. That's, uh, you, you have went and done the archery Roosevelt thing, right? Twice? I have. I've hunted, uh, hunted Rocky Mountain elk in Oregon, and I've also hunted Roosevelt uh, the last two seasons over the counter. Hmm. Well, I keep saying I'm going to go do Roosevelt's. And I never get there. What the heck's wrong with me? <laughs> well, you probably no, keep I, hearing my stories about my experience hunting them, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that doesn't sound like very much fun at all. I, I will admit that you've tempered my enthusiasm. But then I go talk to Shannon and those guys over at Angry <laughs> Spike, and I'm like, well, this sounds like a no-brainer. <laughs> wonder if I could just go and impose myself, impose myself on their time. It's, it's kind so. of like the people who shed hunt and pack back in nine miles and climb 3,500 feet in elevation each day to pick up a elk antler that's laying on the ground and come back with 100 ticks on them and try to make it sound fun. <laughs> there's, there's people who, who try to make Roosevelt elk hunting sound fun too. Huh. Well, I'll, I'll kind of shelf that over there with the, these guys that are selling me a bill of goods. Then. <laughs> so. I don't know if you watched our, our Destination Elk series when we hunted with them last year, but we, uh, we got to camp with Corey and Shannon and complete downpour. And we're standing there going, oh, this is going to really not be fun. But, you know, we've got gear for it and we're going to go out and get wet. And they're standing, they've got this whole camper set up with awnings and, you know, rain shelters set up. And they start talking like, yeah, there's no need to really get up early for hunting Roosevelt elk. You know, we can get up around 730 or 8. And uh, they brought a cook. <laughs> they, they brought one of their friends who is a professional chef. And he wow. brought all these, you know, Traeger set up and battery powered setups to run the Traegers. And he cooked us one of the best meals I've ever eaten, let alone at elk camp. 
we gained weight on that hunt, I'm pretty sure. So they're sitting there buttering us up with this chef cooking this amazing meal, sleeping in and getting up and having breakfast ready the next morning. And then after two days of this, they're like, all right, we're moving camp and we're bivvying out and there's no more meals. I'm like, I see what you guys did. You tried to make Roosevelt elk hunting sound and look appealing. And now you pull <laughs> the carpet out from under us and it sucks. And uh. that's exactly what they did. <laughs> uh, well i i keep saying i'm gonna go there and do it someday i am you do my son li- yeah my son lives in portland so i've charged him with the task of figuring it out but i don't know all he does is work so i don't know <laughs> he's the opposite of his old man all i do is mess around and find ways to get out of work but uh <laughs> So the deadline is May 15th? May 15th. And uh, the the nice thing about Oregon and some of these states, you know, Idaho's coming up next. Uh, They they have late draws, which kind of stinks for trying to plan your fall. But it's also nice because you do know a lot of the states by now. You know the results. And so you're able to say, okay, I'm only going to buy a point in Oregon. Or I haven't drawn anything yet, so I'm going to go ahead and put in in Oregon this year. Um, some of these later states, you know, Oregon, the deadline is May 15th and you find out fairly early. I want to say by June 15th or 20th at the latest, you know, the results from the, from the draw you do have until June 1st to correct your application. If, uh, there's an issue on it and you need to correct that, you can go in until June 1st and do that. Here's the thing to keep in mind. If you draw a hunt you have to purchase your tag, your elk tag. And that costs you another $588, which, you know, is pretty in line with most states. You're going to be $750 or so into it with your license and tag. But you have to purchase that tag before the first day of your hunt. And so So, I think it's August 28th this year that the season opens in Oregon. You have to have your tag purchased before that date. If you don't, you have to go to one of the designated Oregon Fishing Game Department offices to buy that tag. And if it happens to be on a Saturday, they probably are going to happen to not be open. And you might have to, you might have to sit in Oregon for, uh, for a couple days waiting for an office to open so you can go in there and sign an affidavit saying you haven't hunted and all of that and get your tag. So you can't just go to, you know, DNB supply or wherever and pick up your tag if the season is open. And I know that I talk about it every year. And last year we went to leave for Oregon after the season was opened. And I thought I'll just stop and pick up my tag. Like we did the time before when we went the day before season and realized, no, you can't get your tag now. You have to go to the field office. Unfortunately, it was a uh, middle of the week, I think Wednesday, and there was an office open. So uh, we just had to drive a few miles out of our way and pick that up. But keep that in mind. You do have to pick up your tag and purchase it before the season opens, unless you want to potentially be possibly very mm-hmm. inconvenienced. Dang, that would not be a good thing to find out at the last minute. Um, no. If you if you apply in the controlled hunt, you don't draw, and you say, "Well, I'm going to go get my money's worth out of this license." Uh, is there a deadline of when you can buy the over the counter stuff, or can you just buy that when you get there? It's the same. Over the counter is the same. You have to have it purchased by the uh, day the before the the season opens. So. Okay. Uh, I may have said season opens on the 28th. I think the 28th is the last day to buy the tag. The 29th, I think, is the first day of the season this year. So uh, same for for a controlled hunt or over-the-counter. You have to have that tag purchased before the season opens. Hmm. Wow. Wow. If if you plan on going there, it sounds to me, this this reminds me a little bit of like Idaho. If you know you're going to go there on an over-the-counter hunt and you're going to buy the license and you're going to buy the tag, you may as well apply in the controlled hunt because you already got, you're going to incur those costs anyhow. So put your name in the hat and see if you luck out and get one of the controlled hunts. 
Yeah, just keep in mind there. You know, for a non-resident, your chances of lucking out are not good. But for, for me, you know, where we're hunting, I, you know, the Roosevelt elk, I do have the bug a little bit there. Um, it's more of a chip on my shoulder now than a true enjoyment of the hunt. But uh, we've gone two years in a row. I'll be going again this year, hopefully, depending on Wyoming's results that come out here in a couple of weeks. But um, I think I have five points in Oregon now for elk. So I'm certainly not holding out for a good good unit. Um, but while I'm buying a tag and going over the counter, I figure, you know, it's only $8 to get the get the point. And I'll look at, you know, some of those units that are a draw hunt that maybe have a little bit less desirable access and uh, maybe try to draw one of those in four or five years. Cool. Did you see the the email we got in the Elk Talk podcast submission bucket about the guy Chris says, uh, if if y'all, I'm not sure where he's from, but he said y'all, uh, if, if y'all were given complete control over the Western state tag allocation system, starting from zero, what in y'all's opinion is the most ideal system that you would build? Mm. He must be from Wyoming. <laughs> uh, where they don't have a system for residents. <laughs> no, where they say y'all. Oh, right. Yeah, sure. But we're we're going to get all kinds of mail now from the Wyoming folks. And we don't talk like that. My sister lives in Arkansas. So she grew up in northern Minnesota with this really thick accent. And now when she says, hey, how y'all doing? It's like, come on, Michelle, you faking that or what's the deal, man? But <laughs> you, you all want to go in the host? Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't mix. No. Or, I don't know. Why did I even make a point of that? <laughs> well, now we're going to get in trouble with anyone who says y'all. Uh, but at least he put the apostrophe in there correctly. Y apostrophe A-L-L. A lot of people type it Y-A-L-L, and I'm like, what? Your spell check isn't working, dude. <laughs> but uh, So... I, I don't know. We should probably think about that as a question sometime. We'd really chap everybody's hide, no matter what we issued as our opinion. Uh, so basically, he's giving us—he's giving us the freedom to design a a system for draw tags for a state. Yep. Huh. That would be interesting. I, to... Yeah, I know what I'd do. Yeah, I think I do too. Because I've I've done a lot. And ran a lot of numbers and a lot of other models to defend a certain system. So, yeah, I would say no point system. <laughs> and if you're worried about somebody drawing, you know, three years in a row, say, all right, you have to, if you draw uh, this year, I think some states say you can't apply for the same hunt the following year. Yeah, some states say, right. Some states say you have to, you know, sit out for three years. Uh, Montana, for some species, if you draw, you're out for seven years. So I think you could alleviate some of the anger or frustration of the guy who his neighbor drew three years in a row and he hasn't drawn in 10 years. And that happens very rarely, but it's enough to send people into orbit. No, man. Uh, and the first thing they say is, it's not fair. Yeah. That somebody drew three yeah. years in a row and I've been putting in 10 years and haven't drawn. Well, actually it is. That's the definition of fair. Every year, everybody has an equal chance. And yes, the that person is counting cards or doing something to, to be able to draw <laughs> three years in a row. But that's, you know... That is the definition of fair, where everybody has an equal chance every year. And that's yeah. what we fought so hard to maintain in Idaho because it comes up every year. It seems that they want to add a point system to make it more fair so that people that put in the longest have a better chance of drawing. And, you know, it, it's good for those people to get in on the front end. But for somebody coming in 20 years from now or five years from now, you know, thinking about 
young children, new hunters, it's just, it's, it's shooting us in the foot for yeah. growing, growing hunting. Yeah. And then you get states like Montana where, first of all, we did a bonus point system. And as if that wasn't enough, all the old gray-haired farts who were afraid that they were going to go to their grave without drawing another tag convinced the legislature to square our bonus points. <laughs> Which, uh, okay, I'm sitting at maximum points for, say, bighorn sheep. And that's getting close to 20. I'll just, 20 is a nice round number, so I'll use that. I've got 20 points, which when you square that, I get 400 extra random numbers. The young kid who's two years into it, or the new hunter that's two years into it, even if they're an adult, you square that, you'd say, well, in a normal system, I've got 20, they got two, I should have 10 times better odds. Nope. What In this system, we square it, and that person gets four extra random numbers. So I get a hundred times as many extra random numbers under our new system that somehow they convinced the legislature to pass four or five years ago. And when you look at who went and testified, there wasn't anyone there who testified in favor of that bill who was under age 60, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, just, don't get me started. I, I'm gray, so I can say this stuff about the old gray-haired crowd, but I'm with you. These point schemes, they're just elaborate methods. That There's two problems I have with them. And even though I've got double-digit points for a lot of species in a lot of states, I, I worry about the effect they have. One, I think they create an entitlement where people feel that because I've been in the system, I'm entitled to a tag. No, you're not. You're still subject to the rules of probability and luck. And I think it does what you mentioned. It, it just, it stacks, it takes a pie of a certain size. And instead of us focusing on growing the size of the pie, in other words, putting more elk on the mountain, we decide we're going to fight over a smaller pie. And we accept a smaller pie and a smaller pie. And we just come up with crazy schemes of how to allocate that pie so that our slice is likely to be bigger. And... I worry that it takes our eye off the bigger picture of putting more elk on the mountain. It does, and you can will. see it in, in almost every state. You look at the, the trail that this leads down. It starts off, and everybody's excited. I got in at the ground level. I got you know bonus points or preference points. Well, so did everybody else. And when a state goes to a point system, historically, without any exception, they have more applications the year that they go to a point system than they had the year before. So now more people are getting in because they realize I've got to get in at the ground floor. So your odds go down from that. Point systems don't work. Point creep comes in. So what do they do? They raise the cost. That's the first thing they do because people start complaining that, well, I've got points and I'm never going to draw still. There's too many people in it. So they raise the, they say, well, we've, we've got a supply demand issue here. We've got plenty of demand. Let's raise the cost. So they raise the price. Now people start complaining that they're pricing it out for the regular guy. And then, I mean, look at Arizona. What, they cut like 25% of elk tags this year or something? It's some big number. Yeah. You look at Wyoming. Wyoming proposed cutting non-resident elk tags pretty drastically this year and raising prices again, which they're already, what, $900 and $1,200 or $1,300 for an elk tag there. They proposed that and got enough blowback that it didn't make it on there. But uh, anytime a state starts proposing something, you know that in the next three years it's going to pass. Idaho passed it so that non-resident uh, elk and deer tags are going to be reduced and the price is going to go up. So yeah, the, the, the path we're going down is not focusing on putting more elk and more opportunity on the ground. It's fighting with each other over the limited resource and trying to find a way to get an advantage over somebody to get that tag and yeah, that's that's one of the, I think, byproducts of point systems that I've seen. And I've been doing this multi-state application game since 1995. So I've been doing it for 25 years. And I just worry that it puts us in the mindset of, I think I've explained this on prior podcasts, how you have abundance thinkers and scarcity thinkers. 
abundance thinkers say, let's be, let's make a bigger pie so we don't have to fight over the scraps of the pie. Scarcity thinkers say, all right, the pie is going to shrink. I, I, I'm just going to block out the possibility that we can increase the size of the pie. I'm here to fight over my piece of the pie. Yep. And in, in conservation, historically in the United States, what has got us to where we are today is that we were abundance thinkers rather than scarcity thinkers. And I just think point systems lead us further down that path of scarcity thinkers and takes our eye off the bigger prize. So, hmm. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for sending that, <laughs> sending that email. <laughs> uh, no, it, it's amazing some of the emails we get. I'm sitting here looking at them right now. If we would have to do a hundred more podcasts just to get through the emails that we're sitting on. And, and uh, just in the last couple of weeks, they've really shot up, which, which is awesome. It gives us yeah. topics to talk about that you, the listeners want to, want to hear about. So, yeah. So go to elktalkpodcast.com, right? Yep. And just go to the contact tab and send us an email. We see every email that comes in and, we, uh, we love to pick out some of these controversial topics to talk about and, and share our opinions on them. And, you know, I, th I think there is, and I actually presented some models uh, on point systems that for some of the higher uh, odd hunts, you know, 20 to 30 percent or higher odds of drawing, a point system yeah. can work. And, yep. you know, it can filter people through and you don't end up with point creep. Um, so, you know, you say you have 100 people applying for a tag and you have 25 tags. Using a point system in that case will work and you won't get point creep if things stay the same. You know, if you don't get more applications, if you don't cut tags. But for those, you know, 100 people applying for four or five tags, they just don't work. Your odds do not statistically increase enough to justify the damage it does to everyone behind you. Um it just, it doesn't make sense. And people just don't look at the numbers. They think a point system, they hear that and they automatically think I get in at the ground level and I can draw the best tag in the state and kill a 400 inch bull. And that's just, yep. it's not reality. No. And it doesn't work. It creates false expectations in my mind. Yeah. I mean, having a, having a point system for something like bighorn sheep or some of the rare species of moose and goats, you're not going to plow through that pile of applicants where a point system makes any statistical difference. Yep. It just doesn't. I mean, in Montana, okay, now we've squared bonus points, but there's 14,000 of us at the maximum point level. <laughs> and there's 100 tags. So now you have 14,000 people who are getting 400 points each. So 400 names yeah. in the hat, that puts you at 5.6 million entries in the hat. And then you add all the people underneath that, you know, at least doubles that. So you've got 12 million names in the hat for 100 tags. And yeah. you do the odds on, on you with your 400 chances in there, you know, you are still at 0.004%. Yeah, some crazy so, number. So but I have maximum number, maximum points, so I'm going to draw. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, that's that, those are tangents to what I thought was a really good question, and I thought was a good sidebar to the discussion in Oregon because yeah. it it has a preference point system. What you're seeing when you look at Go Hunt, you are seeing point creep that illustrates in any of these units with very high demand and low number of tags, point systems do just about nothing. <laughs> they, they're just how it is. And I, I'm not picking on Oregon. I'm saying that in any state. Yeah. Any state that has an elaborate point scheme, the same result happens. And that's why when this question came through the other day, I thought, oh, I'm going to pull that one aside. Um and there's another really good one that we're going to save for another day. 
because we will lose all of all of our listeners will get mad and we'll lose them all when we jump into that topic. Oh man, now you've got me nervous. I know. What's the first thing that happens when draw results start coming out? What What's the number one complaint from non-residents? Uh, Some to, to the effect of that's all public land. I should, well, how can you restrict <laughs> me to ten percent? Right? Yeah. You, you, how can you restrict non-residents to five percent or ten percent? That's all public land. Blah 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 blah. Yep. So yeah. there's a history and, of how that unfolded and how it got there. And another tangent on that that I saw Missouri is having an elk hunt for the first time this year. Yep. Thanks That's to cool. uh, restoration and conservation efforts in that state. And if you're a non-resident, you don't get to apply. Yep. <laughs> Same in South Dakota. Yep. So. So. Yeah, we can talk uh, about that uh, on another <laughs> on another podcast. And I mean, I I think uh, I don't think people get mad at us. I think it'll just make them mad overall. Similar yeah. to what we are. I mean, it's yes, I would. I don't like to be restricted in anything I do. But you have to do you have to do that, and there's reasons for it. So we can get into yeah, that. Another and then, yeah, and then people get into you know the prices are so much higher, and uh, I this is the, how stupid accountants can be at times, right? So I'm a CPA. I'm telling my wife how much money we've saved by moving to Montana in 1991. So now we can buy deer and elk tags every year here in Montana. And this was like 95, 96, five or six years later. And we both left really, really good jobs because we wanted to live somewhere where we could hunt elk every year. So she sat down. She's a very smart person. She likes to be real coy and under the radar like she's not following along. And then she'll, she'll set the trap. So she draws this graph and she says, Randy, Based on where what pay cuts we took when we got here, and assuming our our compensation in both places grew at the rate of inflation, here's how much money we would have been making if we would have stayed where we were. Here's what little we're making here relative to that. And she said, You're not your resident elk tag just cost you twenty five thousand dollars. I hope you're happy. I kind of grabbed my stuff and went outside and mowed the grass. Hmm. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I need to come. I need to come to the table with a better argument next time, I guess. So. <laughs> but well, what that pointed out to me is uh, there's a. It, it's pretty simple and easy to say. Oh, the prices are different this way or that way, resident, non-resident, and there's laws and reasons why it is. And I, I think everybody agrees that residents should be given some some lower price compared to resident non-residents there's always the argument of what should that ratio be but in the case of a lot of people who live in the rocky mountain states they could move to larger areas and make a pot full a much <laughs> a much higher standard of living financially yeah. but they want to live where they can get an elk tag every year and some people would say oh you don't live there just for that I'm here to tell you, I live in a Rocky Mountain state, so I can get an elk tag every year. <laughs> that is one of that is one of my primary reasons for why I walked away from a really good situation with a lot of potential and said, I'll go scratch it out in Montana. Uh, so, and I say this just to give non-residents maybe some perspective of how a resident sees it is, you know what? I made a huge financial sacrifice to live here and to be here engaged in the on the ground conservation work and the advocacy and everything else and to get my resident elk tech. And so it's not as simple as the price difference to a lot of residents. A lot of residents say, yes, there is that price difference, but let's also factor into account the fact that I make $100,000 less or $30,000 less or $10,000 less than if I would move somewhere else. Yep. And, and so from just giving it the, 
the Kim Newberg perspective when she wants to straighten her husband out and throw some cold water on his false arguments. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more cost that that resident is incurring in terms of opportunity costs or otherwise than what is just the price difference between the tags. So now that I've planted that seed, I can't even imagine what our emails are going to be now. <laughs> you guys are just saying that because you live in Montana and Idaho. No, I'm saying that because my wife brought it to my attention and she frequent, not frequently, she's laid off it lately. But whenever I show her my hunting budget, she always says, well, that still doesn't take into account how much money we've left on the table when we moved here so you can hunt. But the thing she won't admit is she wanted to move here also. So... I, I I try to defend myself, but I'm just not good at the debate. Something about guys, we don't debate as well as women. I, I'm like <laughs> terrible at it. I just just grab my scratched out notes, roll them up in a ball, throw them in the trash and go out in my shop and pout. Mm, I just lost another <laughs> argument. I, it, it, politicians should be thankful my wife doesn't run for office. She's never lost a debate or an argument in her life. Uh, I, I don't, is that same at your house? Yeah, and you know, uh, and and it's. I think you're the one that, that said it. Something about um, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Oh yeah, peace, not and, justice. Yeah, you can you can win an argument in your house if that's important to you, but it won't bring you no happiness. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's exactly right. So. Anyhow, uh, see, don't that, let me go down all these tangents, Corey. I, I was going to say, I, I don't know how we got on marital advice again, but. No, I don't either. But I I want people to remember that May 15th is your deadline if you're going to apply in Oregon. <laughs> and Oregon does have a lot of elk and Oregon has good hunting. Uh, there are some decent controlled hunts that you can draw with you know three four five six points so don't completely back away from building points especially if you're gonna go over there and hunt over the counter which there's a lot of opportunity to do so and you'll find out by yeah. june 20th if you drew and buy your tag before the season opens and we could have had and like no. a, we could have had a two-minute podcast to tell them everything they need to know yeah but then they would have wanted their money back that's true only two minutes so, and then also Oregon has a lot of public land. So that's yep. another cool thing about Oregon. Lots of places to go and hunt and do what we just talked about at the beginning of the podcast. And that's go to rmef.org forward slash elk talk and sign up for their new membership level called the annual sportsman membership and help the elk foundation, help them do their work with hunting and uh, hunting access, whether it's new access, whether it's improved access, whatever it is, uh, they're working hard at improving hunting access for hunters on public land. And that's a big part of the reason behind this annual sportsman membership. And the first 500 people, you and I get to lay down $20 bills for all those, Corey. That's awesome. How about that? I, I'm happy. Cool. You know, a lot of times I would think, man, I'm, that's that's a lot of money that adds up there. But for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, I'm uh, I'm happy to do it because that's how much Randy and I believe in the mission of the the organization and support their efforts. So we're happy to do yep. that. And like Randy said, first 500 Elk Talk listeners who go to the website and sign up, we're uh, we're laying down a twenty dollar bill for you to uh, reduce that cost and hopefully make it even way more worthwhile than it already is without our help. So, yeah. So have we uh, covered everything we had on our list today? We cov- I, I see it. we added a lot of things that weren't on the list. So my I was going to say, I, th- I, think, I think it's like going to the grocery store without a shopping list. You end up buying a lot more than what you really need. We we didn't have yeah. a list, and we ended up talking about a lot more than what we really needed to. So you just went grocery shopping uh, with Randy and Corey. Yeah. Well, 
thanks for listening folks yep we're uh we're sure appreciative of all of the feedback and comments we get and uh it's uh, it's been a lot of fun reading these these emails and forcing my mind to go back to some of these perspectives that people have and say yeah that that well, why didn't i ever look at it that way or yeah i looked at it that way and now i look at it slightly differently or whatever so where can they give us more comments he said elktalkpodcast.com that's it go to the website click the contact tab at the top of the page and fill out your name your email address and whatever your comment or question or concern is and hit submit and it comes right to randy and i we both get them and we both read them so yep. keep flooding our inbox it gives us uh gives us ideas and thoughts to be able to expand on and gives us rabbit holes to be able to head down yeah well, Corey, you go round up some more wood ticks. I got to go out to my shop. My wife told me that if my boat isn't ready to go fishing uh, by Friday, uh, she said, or else. I don't know what or else means. I've been married 31 years and I don't want to go to that boundary where I've crossed into or else. So <laughs> I'm going over to the shop to get the boat ready. Excellent. We'll have fun doing that. And, uh, tell the boat doctor hello because i know if you're getting the boat ready it'll involve a trip to the boat doctor because that's what <laughs> boat ownership uh, involves yeah boat stands for bring on another thousand so <laughs> i call them boat units I, I can't remember who i got that from but someone said yeah i just it just cost me a few boat units i'm like what's that <laughs> they said boat bring on another thousand and i thought yeah. they were joking now I fully understand what they mean. So, yep. yeah. Anyhow, thanks, folks. Yep. Take care. Thanks. Catch you on the next one.